0: Hey, everybody, thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. Please like, follow,
1: and subscribe. Tiger Williams, 3,971 in 962 games. Dale Hunter, Ty Domi, Marty McSorley, Bob Probert, Rob Ray, Craig Berube, Kim Hunter. Number nine is Chris Nyland. But, but, Chris Nyland is 3,043 penalty minutes in only 688 games. He more than beats every one of the eight above him in per game penalty minute records. And I can tell you that he's only one of nine in the history of the National Hockey League that ever had over 3,000 penalty minutes. And to this day, he still holds the NHL record for a game in – let me put my glasses on again – March 31st, 1991, where he just happened – to end up with 42 penalty minutes. When I stepped on
0: the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going I'm to town. Archie, <laughs> thanks so much for joining Tim and I today. Awesome stuff. Say hi to Tim
1: Stapleton, my partner. Tim, how are you? Good. Uh, Thanks for coming on, Archie. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here with uh, one of my all time favorites, Chris Nyland Knuckles.
0: Yeah. Listen, I never knew you. uh, I was your all time favorite. And (laughs) and thank you for the compliment and thanks for the the backing. But I got to tell you, as a kid, me, 21 years old, coming out of college, I didn't know what the pro game was about, but I found out pretty quickly. I mean, I used to watch the Bruins all the time, but I didn't know just the inner workings of hockey and what went on. And I remember my first year, I had that fight with Glenn Cochran, The next thing I have a contract, okay? And I remember going to Hershey, and everybody said to me, watch out for Archie Henderson. And I'm like, oh, I got to fight this guy, He's 6'6", 240, whatever. And I'm like, it, it, give me a little background to Archie growing up. How would you get into the game and and, and and what drew you to the game? And how did you become a, a guy who goes out there and fights every
2: night?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting story because when I was growing up, uh you know, I love playing the game of hockey. We started actually uh, on a little outdoor pond rink close to my house uh, in uh, a small village actually that uh, called Montgomery that became part of Calgary later uh, when I was about seven years old. And um, we really didn't have anything organized. And then one day the community association uh, decided they were going to put together a hockey program. Without being long winded, mom and dad knew that I wanted to play. So they took me down and got me registered and I started playing. And uh, it's funny because the sweater that they gave me, the first sweater when I was a little tyke, was uh, sponsored by Pink Bubbles Laundry. And, uh... <laughs> Pink Bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pink Bubbles. And my mom actually kept that sweater, Chris, uh, up until she passed away, and gave me that sweater in a box of things later on, and I still have that jersey to this day. Um, wow. And, uh, we used to practice on Saturday and then play a game on Sunday, and uh, there were only two teams. One was called the Lions and one was called the Tigers, and I played on the Lions. And uh, from there, it just went on. The love of the game went on. When I got to, uh, uh, I guess we'd call Bantam AA in those days, a former NHL player had come back to Calgary named Hank Basson. And he was a former goaltender of the Detroit Red Wings and the Pittsburgh Penguins. And he started coaching that age group in Calgary, but it was more of an elite level rather than the community level that i had been playing at. So I went in as an underage, I was 12 years old, playing against 13, 14 and 15 year old players. And he decided to keep me on the team. Now I didn't get to play a lot, but I did get to play. And from there, he said to me, you know, If you keep working hard, you may have a chance to turn this into something. Well, to be honest with you, I never, ever dreamt of going on and playing pro hockey or playing in the National Hockey League, which I did for a very short time. But what my dream always was, my mother and father, who were blue-collar working people, wanted me to go to school. So I worked hard at my education. And as I went through high school, I ended up, Chris, being on the principal's uh, on a roll when I was getting ready to graduate. and this is where the story becomes interesting because one day I get a letter from Dartmouth College and Wow. They were asking me yes, they were asking me if I would come and play in Dartmouth if they offered me a scholarship, so on and so forth. And it was probably a couple of days later another letter came from the Lethbridge Broncos, which were part of the Western Western Canada Hockey League in those days, and so mom and dad sat me down again. These are blue collar people. You got to understand. We came from a very small area, yeah. in Calgary, And my mom read off the hop. Said Archie, "You're not going to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. It's too far away." They had no idea that it was <laughs> Ivy League school. They had no idea. And my dad said, "If you want."
0: Dotman, the- it's in New Hampshire, right? Yeah, Dotman's yeah. in New Hampshire. Tar- his yeah. parents
1: right. yeah. thought it was Nova Scotia. Yeah, it was Nova <laughs> Scotia. <laughs> and, and they just didn't know, and Mom just yeah. said, you're not going, it's too far away. And Dad said, well, if you want, you can go and try out for this team called the Lethbridge Broncos. Now, again, I had been planning and had already registered in the University of Calgary and was going to be trying to become a civil engineer. I had no real aspirations of being wow. a hockey player. I went down and was fortunate enough to make the team. And on that club, I was one of the younger guys. I played on the fourth line, didn't get to play a lot. But we had players like Brian Troche, uh Brian Sutter, Ron DeLorme. The, yep. the coach was Earl Field. And it was the first year of the team in the Western Canada Hockey League in Lethbridge. They had actually moved from Swift Current. Chris, I had no idea what I was getting into. I knew the Calgary Centennials because I had gone as a kid to watch them in the old corral in Calgary, but I really didn't have any idea, uh, you know, the Swift and Broncos moving to Lethbridge. I, I didn't know. So, I hoping, yep,
0: so you get there, Archie. Like, no. like you growing up as a kid, you you always the tallest yeah. kid in the I neighborhood?
1: Was, I was always tall and thin, and my favorite team was the Toronto Mayor. From Maple Leafs, yeah. uh, we would get two channels on our television, and every Saturday night they had hockey night in Canada, and there was only a 16 NHL. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite player growing up was Frank Mahovlich. I just, yeah. uh, I just loved that guy, and yeah. uh, I tried to be like him. He was a tall man as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was always one of the tallest guys, and when I did finally go on to play junior, I was much taller than a lot of the other guys in the league, even though Uh, I was, I guess,
0: right? Were you six
1: six at the time? Did you reach that? I was actually six six, uh, but by that time I had broken my nose a couple of times, Chris, from fighting. So when I looked up in the sky in the rafters, I was about six foot nine because my nose was pretty big.
2: So were you being that big? You were just were you just expected to fight
1: too? I'm assuming. No, I, you know we had a conversation, Chris and I, a couple of days ago, and um, I think all of us tough guys we we start off wanting to be players, uh, and and what happens is is you're afraid to fail. So you get cast into a role where you know you can, you can help your team and you can make the team and you can stay there. So you grasp onto it and you stay there. And, and when I use an example, I'll bring this up for, 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 for an example of a guy that was a player that wanted to be a player, became a very good player, became an NHL all-star, and his name is Chris Nile. And in the first two years at Northeastern University, he never took a penalty minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what i mean by that is is chris and i talked about this the other day is i think everybody that becomes a tough guy or is a tough guy it's in it's in them but they start off wanting to be a player and um, some of us get used some of us use ourselves and we go and do whatever we can to stay on the team and to contribute
2: did you like did you like i know chris loved fighting did yeah. you
1: like did you like it in the beginning i did yeah, but it was different in those days. You got to remember, we didn't have video. We didn't, we didn't uh, you know, chart guys or watch guys or have any kind of a plan prior to the game or anything like that. You knew who the tough guys were. In the beginning, yes, I enjoyed it. It brought me some recognition to the team. It welcomed me to the group. But when I got older, Actually, after I started to have children, Alice and I had our first daughter. It became very, very hard uh, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, it does. Like it, it you know, you you end up uh, it wears on you mentally, physically, and emotionally. But when you're a young guy and you, you like you say, trying to get to the NHL, you do anything to to get there, and you did. You drafted. Um, well, before we get to the the draft. Um, you know, you uh, were drafted by the Caps, I know. And then um, the junior career, though, did the fighting there, like it was crazy back in those days, right? A lot of brawls. Intimidation was such a key part of the, the game back then. You would scare teams out of the arena. Some of the games when you played junior, do you remember some of those games where your team were going somewhere or they come to your building and they just – Forget it. They didn't even want to play. They didn't want to touch a puck.
1: Well, absolutely. I remember uh, I was just talking to Ron Delorme recently. We played uh, junior together on those teams in Lethbridge, and we were talking about how the first time that we went into New Westminster, Chris and the yeah. uh, ruins were were notorious. Uh, Ernie McLean was the coach. They were notorious for being real tough, but they were also at the time one of the, if not the, one of, they were the biggest team in hockey. They were bigger than, than the teams in the National Hockey League. And <laughs> they were all black. They uh, dressed in black uniforms, uh, black pants, black gloves, black helmets. Scary looking it, black. It very scary. And yeah. I remember being on the bus and uh, uh, the guys telling me, Trotche and Sutter and DeLorme and Alex Tidy and those guys, Archie, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't scared. I'm being totally honest. And, yeah. and, and yet, Chris, as the bus came from the hotel in Vancouver and wound through uh, the park in New Westminster where the arena was, there's these huge trees, and they kind of hang over the road. So it's like you're going into a ghost story. And we'd be winding, and all of a sudden, Chris, you would hear, oh, oh, you have feel and see guys getting sick on the bus. <laughs>
0: Whoa, uh.
1: The bus would pull up, Chris, this is a true story. And we'd be unloading our bags and there would always be one guy that would go, oh, I forgot my skates. That's what <laughs> <happened>. <laughs> I never really was afraid going in, to be honest with you. And they had Barry Beck was on the team and Brian Maxwell was on the team. And yeah. Harold Pilipoff. Wow. We are fighting and, and, I was never afraid until we started going around in warm-up. In those days, the team skated together in warm-up before you cut off at half rink, and they would put their sticks in your face, and they'd say, I'm going to cut your eyes up." But now you got to remember, you're all dressed in black. And <laughs> a 17-year-old kid. I wasn't as scared. But I'll tell right. you, I, I did get pretty nervous when we lined up on our blue line to shoot on our goalie and two of their guys were in our line shooting on our goalie. I was a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> that's a little that 's a little bit of bullshit, but it, it was it was a real intimidating uh, a time. another time i 'll tell you real quickly was uh, after I had been traded in junior to Victoria, I was coached by Patty Janelle, who was very famous, iconic in the Western Canada Hockey League as being a tough guy with tough teams. We went into Saskatoon one night, and this was actually a a real bad night uh, for the league and for our team. I was not playing. I was suspended. I was on the uh, bench with Patty, helping coach, and uh, Derek Barron, I believe was his name, came down the ice, and Timmy Williams went to poke check him. The sticks got caught. They went up, and uh, Derek got hit in the eye. Well, what happened was is Shaky McLeod was a coach for Saskatoon. Uh, blades and they what names running. shake around. Around, they, right? they He was actually the coach of the Canadian national team prior to this, but, uh, the benches got emptied and it was really, really bad. Chris, uh, to a point where, uh, they actually shut the lights off in the building to stop the fight. Now, uh, a lot of people believe I was involved in that. I wasn't, I was on the bench, uh, and, uh, but it was bad. Uh, guys got hurt and, um, we actually got, uh, Uh, on the bus after the game, and there were a bunch of people around the bus. So Patty Janela told us, just get on the bus. Don't say a word. We're going back to the hotel because we were actually supposed to play them again the next night. And we went back to the hotel, downtown Main Street in Saskatoon, and Patty said, you close all your blinds, you don't leave your rooms, we'll get you something to eat, and you stay there for the night. Well, the next morning, we find out that the arena had been padlocked. And uh, by the mayor, he would not allow us to play, and uh, it became a big national story. It was on TV, and they had video from the from the fight and everything. It, it was bad. I can go on and on and on, Chris. Yeah, to tell you about. Well, that
0: gives us a taste of the slap shot era. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Absolutely.
0: Right. Absolutely. So, which is is cool, but so you get drafted by Wash, uh, Washington Capitals. Were yeah. you? When you get drafted, were you like shocked? Were you happy? Like, wow! I can't believe it. I'm gonna
1: get my shot. Actually, the story is, is uh, when I was a kid, I used to work uh, at the bakery, and uh, I used to make donuts. And uh, I always took the night shift because I would get 25 cents more an hour. Again, we're a working class family. We didn't have a lot of money. So uh, the day of the draft, I, I didn't even realize it was a draft. And in those days, they did it by telephone. It's not. Yeah thing that they have now. So uh, I come home uh, in the morning, it was about eight o'clock and I'm coming up the driveway after parking the car and I'm covered with flour and I've got on my baking uniform. And My mom is standing at the back step, (laughs) curlers in her hair and she's got her house coat on. And she goes, Archie, you better get in here right away. What's the matter, mom? She said, you just got a phone call from a General McNabb in Washington, D.C. General McNabb. No, the General (laughs) McNabb was maximum. So I turned to my mom and I realized this was at the time of the Vietnam War. So I turned to my mom, I said, I'm not going to the Vietnam War, I'm (laughs) Canadian. My mom says, well, here's his number, you're supposed to call him back. General McNabb from Washington, D.C. And I didn't phone him back. There's no way I was calling him back. Well, he phoned three days in a row to try and get a hold of me. <laughs> of course, my mom and I would never answer the phone. And if we did, we'd say, Well, he's not here. So on the third day, finally, I pick up the phone and he says, It's Max McNabb from the Washington Capitals. And I go just like this, in my mindset, I go, I'm Canadian. You can't draft me. I'm not good <laughs> story. He tells uh, me, he says, he says to me, Chris, I'll finish the story real quickly. He says to me, well, we need you to come to Ottawa. He said, uh, we want to do physical testing. The, the coach was Tommy McVee in those days. He was oh, ahead, of, ahead of his time.
0: Legend. And
1: so, <laughs> remember, I worked in a bakery. So, yeah. we went to the airport. And uh, in those days, you were supposed to pick up your, your ticket at, in the mail or at the airport. Well, nothing came in the mail. So dad drives me up to the airport and there's no ticket for Archie. So my dad had to buy me a ticket to go to Ottawa. I got repaid later, obviously, but I got yeah. and I got on the scale and I weighed two hundred and forty five pounds. Oh wow. Oof. Remember I didn't just work at the bakery, I ate yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, how many donuts is that? Well, anyway.
0: Supposed yeah. to be making them, not
1: <laughs> eating them. Yeah. So uh, that's what I walked do. And Tom McVie said, uh, uh, he had a meeting with me. He said, when you come back in the fall, we want you to weigh 207 pounds. Uh, we want you to do 30 push-ups in a row. We want you to do 30 sit-ups in a row. And we want you to run the mile in 5 minutes and 40 seconds.
0: He was big on the run in Tom McVie, right?
1: Yes, yeah. he was. So, uh, And he'll tell you the story someday if you're ever talking to him. I went into training camp and uh I weighed two hundred and seven pounds. I did thirty push ups in a row, I did thirty sit-ups in a row, and when I ran the mile, he clocked me at exactly five minutes and forty seconds. And he turns to me and he goes, Great job. And I said, What's next? <laughs> wow. Wait, That's you a- lost thirty like over thirty like pounds? And the story is, I'll tell you this, uh, not to get wonkled, but this is the way it work. Chris will tell you, back in the day, we didn't have gyms like they do today. We didn't have yeah. We didn't have trainers. So uh, what I did when he told, when I got back home from Ottawa, he told, uh, I said to my wife, I have to run this thing in five minutes and 40 seconds, 42 seconds, something like that. So what we did is Alice, my wife to this day, owned a little yellow Honda Civic and we went down by the river uh, in the community where I lived, and we marked out on her odometer exactly one mile. And, and what I would do every day is after work, she would pull down the Honda Civic and she would drive it at the exact speed over the course of one mile so that I would run it by keeping up to the Honda Civic in five minutes and 40 seconds. Now I did Finally, do it at five minutes and forty seconds. But I got down here, died from carbon monoxide. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh,
0: that is awesome! So you get to the the caps, and you're gonna bark on your NHL career, uh, which is awesome. And geez, I you know, you went to the Hershey Bears. You go to your first training camp now. Did you play a couple of exhibition games up there with the Caps, no. or did they send you right? No, solid? what happened?
1: No, what happened was uh, uh, on the first shift of training camp, uh, their first round pick. I forget it was a defenseman. Um, Not Rick Green. No, it wasn't Green. No, Green. it was a, a, a man from uh, the Quebec League. I have to look it up, but he was no, a first. So they dropped the puck, and I went over right away and, and cross-checked him. So now oh. there's trouble. Okay, now there's trouble, okay? Everyone knows that I'm in a camp and I'm there to cause a bunch of shit. So <laughs> right after that, their first round pick from the year before, second round pick, I ended up fighting him. So now everybody's ears are pinned back. Well, I think if it was about the second or third day, Chris, when uh, the Washington Capitals had a guy there named Gordy Lane, who ended up doing Stanley Cups with the New York Islanders. And Gordy was a really tough guy. And I fought him. Before they dropped the puck, I fight him again. Then they dropped the puck, and I fought him a third time. (laughs) Max McNabb comes down out of the stands, stops the training camp, and says, okay, That's enough. We know what you guys can do. I don't want any more of this. So there was no more fighting. Well, my roommate that first year in training camp was the infamous Brian Bugsy Watson. Oh, God. So Bugsy, (laughs) they had to actually pull him aside and say, listen, you can't wind this kid up anymore because he had me wound up tighter than a top. And, uh, The rest of the training camp, I didn't fight, but I did score a little bit, tried to be a player, and they assigned me after that to the Port Huron Flags, which was uh, uh, in the International Hockey League. And the reason for that, not to uh, pretend I was any better than I was, was that the Washington Capitals only had a split farm club in Hershey. They shared the team with with, uh, Buffalo. And the tough guy that they kept in Hershey – was a little bit older than me and you played with him and his name was Nelson Burton. Nelly! And I went down to Port Huron and I played with Gary Risley, another fellow we talked <laughs> about the other day. And what happened there was uh, uh, we had all kinds of uh, fun. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, well, I guess so. Now, Port Huron, you yeah, good numbers, you know, and then you go to Hershey. You come yeah. to Hershey and, and- and you had 17 goals, 11 assists. Hockey must, I mean, 337 minutes and penalties, but hockey must have been fun there, scoring goals. It feels good as a guy goes out to fight to go out and help your team another way, doesn't it? That must have been an awesome year for you, right? It it
1: was, and it was uh, the Hershey Bears, as you know, were a very famous American. Great
0: organization.
1: Yeah. run by Frank Majors, and uh, – the fan base in Hershey, for example, I think there were 9,200 people lived in the town of Hershey. And we would sell out every night of 9,000 people. I always thought, what a great place to go on a night of hockey and rob a house. <laughs> 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 I not really do that. But um, it, 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 it was great. Uh, that was the year uh, that I went up and it was still a split farm club. With the uh, Buffalo Sabers, and we had players like Larry Playfair on that team. Bill Riley, who you played with, was oh, on yeah. Different guys. I'd have to look at the roster. But one funny story I will tell you, Chris, is that year they have it listed as 337 penalty minutes. And if you look up Gary Risling's hockey DB, he has 337 penalty minutes. But they made a typo. I actually had 342 penalty minutes. Oh, the bastards! And I, I'll tell you the story. I'm because, writing that down on here. Don't worry, I
2: got
1: you. I'll tell you the story that goes with it. So myself and Gary are rookies were playing for the Hershey Bears. We're on the same line. He was my left winger for in Port Huron and in Hershey for a couple more years after that even. So as we're winding down the season, we know that the penalty minute record for the historic Hershey Bears is in sight. I forget what it was, but we got a chance to break it. So we're going into the last game of the season. We're going into New Haven before the playoffs start. And no one on the bus is talking to either of us because they know that that penalty minute record is in sight. And we're both kind of tied at that point going into the last game. Well, during the game, Rizzer takes a penalty. I take a penalty. I take a penalty. Rizzer takes a penalty. And I know we're sitting there on the bench and we're adding up in our heads who's got (laughs) the penalty. Well, with about three minutes to go in the game, Gary Risling gets into a fight. He gets kicked out of the game. Okay. So now he's standing at the doorway in the old, in that New Haven arena uh, where where you go off the ice down. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wait a minute. This guy is this many penalty minutes ahead of me. So, the last shift of the game, Dwayne Loudermilk, I think was the player, is coming up the ice, and I yell, Dwayne, Dwayne, come here. He looks and he jumps on the bench, and I jump over the bench. <laughs> <laughs> I go down the ice, and I run, Frankie, beaten. Remember, Frank never. Frankie been never been beaten. Right? Well, that night, got- <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I hit him, and uh, proverbial shit hit the fan, okay? Well, I end up taking a 5, 10, whatever the hell it was. That five,
0: 10-minute misconduct, game misconduct. So 25 minutes right there. <laughs> I know
1: it was 25 minutes, with a bunch of penalty minutes. So now the referee goes, you're out of the game. And I'm thinking to myself, how many penalty minutes do I have? <laughs> well, I know I'm five minutes more than Rizzer. And he does too. So as I step off the ice, remember I told you he was standing at the gate. He's pissed off. We go down the hall, and me and Gary Rising, my good friend, God bless him, I love him. Yeah. We, go it, we go at it in the hallway <laughs> for, for penalty minutes. Rex. Not the,
0: <laughs> not the. <laughs> Not the first time he fought in the hallway. Oh, you. No, I
1: know. He, I remember you and he came into She You and him. I don't remember the exact circumstances. Around, I do. I, I remember the fight. There. I and listen. I
0: thought I fought you somewhere along the line, no. and and, no. and you say no, and I I, I think you just don't remember because I hit you so hard. But maybe
1: maybe you hit me. You hit me with so many lefts, I was begging you to hit me with a right. Yeah. But no, I, I, I thought about it yesterday, so I went back and looked at some of the stuff. And the year that you played your, your, your games in the American Hockey League, because you went up to the NHL and never came back, um, I think, if I remember correctly, I only played about eight or nine games. You that played year. eight games. Yes, because Gary Green was the coach of the Hershey Bears, and he was the youngest coach. He was only like he yeah. years old. He's he was a young guy. He didn't like me at all. Didn't like at all, no. And uh, he, but we had another player was a first round pick on the team from the Ontario League, where Gary had coached the year before, named Tim Coolis. And Gary thought that Tim Coolis could play the role. I didn't get along with Gary. Uh, He didn't get along with me at all. So I ended up uh, being loaned to Fort Worth, Texas, in the Central Hockey League. But getting back to yourself. So I started thinking about it, and I do remember when you guys came into Hershey and the incident with you and Gary in the hallway, you looked kind of like the peacemaker of all that. I was going like, what the hell is going on here? But I think the time you're thinking about would have been when, for some reason, we were in Nova Scotia during those eight games that I played, and I got into a situation with one of your defensemen. Now you might remember, I thought it might have been Dave Allison. And we ended up fighting, but you being who you are, and believe me, on this podcast, Chris Nyland would fight anybody, anywhere, <laughs> anytime. I think yeah. I gave it to Dave a little bit, or whoever it was that was fighting, and I yeah. loved, and you came in, it was sort of in the, around the blue line, and I remember Bert yelling, no, Chris, no, no, but you, there was no stopping you, and you wanted to get at me, but we never got out. Yeah. And yeah. you know, thank goodness I never did because I <laughs> never played anymore.
0: <laughs> that um that Tim, that Rizzling game, like what happened, we fought on the ice and then we get kicked out. So in Hershey, you you come off the door and then you go to the left to uh, the visiting locker room. But I got off the ice first. I went in the locker room, the door was open. So I'm sitting there and the Bears locker room is just past ours, <laughs> so Gary gets off the ice after me, and all of a sudden he comes up. He sees the door open. He looks in.
2: Eh,
0: fuck you, Nyland. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm fuck you, you ugly little bastard, you. And I'm, sw- <laughs> and then there we go. We're fighting in the hallway. It was That was honestly when you think of the slap shot era. It, I mean, it early seventies. Yeah, and, I, don't, and, know if you, I it,
1: don't know if you remember, Chris. It's, uh, it's crazy, Tim, crazy. Chris. Because I had actually, we, I remember we all came into that hallway. It was towards the end of the period or something. And if you remember, the, the dressing rooms were side by side. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's amazing. There was a, Tim, there was a, a, a ventilation or a vent grate Uh, above my stall and Gary's stall, because we sat side by side. And And you could hear us. You could hear the other (laughs) team. So Gary and I, a lot of times, we would stand up on the bench, and I was (laughs) tall enough where we could yell through the, the, the screen or the grate <laughs> into the dressing room of the team we were playing. And we would yell and scream things like, we're going to kill you and we're coming after <laughs> you and blah, blah, blah. It was just craziness, but uh, a lot of fun. A lot, a lot. Of, a so lot we're,
2: who who's breaking up these fights in the hallways? Like the security? Is that <laughs> well, <a> security? Actually,
1: <laughs> actually, security, yeah. I remember yeah. that. When the referees come flying in and, and all that kind of stuff. But uh, there was more, believe me. <laughs> Chris was involved in some of the most infamous stuff off ice and on ice in the NHL. And I saw all of it as well at the American league level. There's several different incidents I could tell you about that. We could, this podcast could go on for hours. Yeah. You know, watch, I I, I tell you one of the
0: um, teams I, um, well, I made my bread and butter with Maine Mariners, but you went into Maine, man. I was, I'm not going to sit here and say I wasn't scared. I was nervous. When I first went in, I first game there, when I fought Glenn, my first fight in pro hockey, well, in, in, I fought in exhibition. I fought Bad News Bilodeau, really? uh Bam Bam Belanger in exhibition, but I hadn't fought in a real game yet. And um, I so I, I didn't even know to be scared. I was nervous about playing the game, not fighting. I didn't even know what was going on that way. But once I knew who the Mariners were <laughs> – and I, I got attuned to that, I, I would get a little – I'd get nervous for games. You know, I'd have that in my stomach. Um, but once I got on the ice and got going, I would – you know, I, that was all out the window. I was just ready for anything, anytime. Well, I,
1: think, I think we all were, and I think, uh, I think guys that in this day and age that say they're not nervous or they weren't a little bit scared, um, I think they're bullshitting. I think that everybody that plays those types of roles like we did – um they're a little bit nervous before that. Yeah. Um, you know, even I was, I mean, for several years in the American League at least, I mean, I was one of the belt holders, but there was always somebody knocking on the door. There was another Chris Nyland knocking on the door. I will I will bring up another quick story about yourself and me. Go ahead. And, and this was <laughs> I was actually playing for the Hartford Whalers. And, yep. and and we had came into Montreal and it was November the twenty November the 20th, I believe, was it was my uh, the, the day that my daughter was born, and we're playing in Montreal, and uh, this would have been in 1982, I believe, and um, during the game we lost. 82, 83, you got it. Yeah, uh, we we lost the game two to one. It was on Hockey Night in Canada, and it was the first time that I'd ever played in Montreal, and I couldn't believe. Uh, as you walk down the hallways, the bricks along the walls, um, and then when you stepped out onto the ice, the bench that was in the, in the arena, and then it was so bright. The lights were just fantastic. Right? Well, the story I wanted to tell is during the game that we lost 2-1, to one, you were playing for the Montreal Canadiens, and I was playing for the Hartford Whalers. Gaston Gingras, who was not a big man but could really skate, and yep. he, that, he was in his own end and came around the net. And for some reason, I'm not the greatest skater. You I got hit, in his way. I hit him. I hit him really <laughs> hard. And Gaston went down, and he was hurt. He had to get helped off the ice. Well, right after that, Big Bird, Larry Robinson, comes over and has a little chat with me. And I, I kind of shake my head. I'm thinking, no, you know, I don't want to fight Larry Robinson. I'm trying to play here. Well, the next shift later was uh, the great Bob Ganey. He drove me against the boards. And it was kind of a message from those two, you know, what kid like play the game, but don't be hurting our people, which I didn't do with Gascon. Well, where you came into the picture was neither of us really played a lot in that game, but the benches were directly across the ice. You were on one side and I was on the other. The whole game You stared at me, and I stared back at you. And we would make kind of notions with our heads. Yeah, like that, and I go yeah, "Yeah," like that. We never got on the ice together. Thank God. Because I'm going to tell you, Tim. (laughs) Other day, fucking
0: you
2: see Archie on the ice. He's fucking scary looking. You, you weren't staring <laughs> at each other like, "Hey, let's get on a podcast." You, know, <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> I
1: don't think Chris was staring at me to ask me to go for lunch the next day? <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, yeah, I remember that very specifically. We lost the game two to one, and uh, after that's, the game, of course, I had to stay in Montreal and then fly back home because Alice had uh, had the media. Yeah, Shout that's
0: it. awesome. Those oh, God, I love hearing those old stories. So. You, you, 23 games in the NHL, had three goals, one assist. Yep. Uh, 92 PIMS. Yep. Like, everybody, like, Tim, how many games in the NHL, Tim? 100? 118, Some, I
2: think. Yeah. You know,
0: and everybody, like, Tim always downplayed. Oh, he only played 100. If you play one game in the NHL, and I always say it, it is such an accomplishment. And I don't say that because, of, oh, I want to make you feel better. But it – when you think of the amount of people that get to play one freaking game in that
1: league, it's an, it's incredible accomplishment, you know? Exactly. You're exactly right. And, and a lot of people, you know, will look at me and say, you only played 23 NHL games. Well, I played 700 and some odd American league games. I tell people all the time, I say, yeah, 23 NHL games. 22 really good games <laughs> and they look at me and I go, yeah, after the bad one, they sent me down and never called me back. And I say, you know, when they called me in to let me know I was going back to Hershey, Max McNabb said to me, Archie, go down to Hershey for two weeks and I'll give you a call. For ten years, I answered the phone. Hello, Max. You never called. <laughs> never
2: called. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point, though. Not, not many people like get called up and play twenty-two great games, right? Like, <laughs> no, well, it's it. hard to do. <laughs> but,
1: but what Chris is saying is exactly true, and I'll and I'll go uh, with this. As a as an NHL scout for many, many, many years, I can tell you that. Uh, there are more now that play a single game uh, than there were back in our day. Um, back in our day, if you had the NHL draft, not all for because there were less teams, if you remember Chris, when I played, there was only eighteen teams in the NHL yeah. so not everybody uh, uh, did get a chance to play one game, and when you take a guy like Knuckles who was drafted where he was with I think only three picks left in the entire draft and to go on and have the career that he did, it's pretty incredible. And I don't think people give uh, people that do achieve one game, like Chris is saying, enough credit. Now in this day and age, many, many players play a game in the national hockey league back in our day. That wasn't true. And as a matter of fact, I did a, a, a speech. I was uh, uh, invited to do a, uh, as a guest for uh, an old-timers hockey association in Calgary. This would have been probably about four or five years ago. And um, I didn't really know what to talk to these guys about. There was about four or 500 guys there, and um, it was kind of a stagnate. So I yeah. knew that a lot of these guys had still played into their 30s, 40s, 50s with the dream of playing in the NHL. Not that they were ever going to, but they always had an excuse – uh, I could have played, but I tore my knee out. I yeah. could have played, but the coach didn't like me. I could have played, but my, I got married. So it was all – I never, ever wanted to embarrass these coulda, woulda, shoulda guys. Yeah. But I went into the speech and I said to them, I said, you know, I'm going to give you a history of the players that were born and raised in the city of Calgary that went on to play in the National Hockey League. One game from the start of the National Hockey League back in whatever it was, 1917 or something. yeah. And at that time, there was only, I think it was 21 players that had ever played one game in the National Hockey League. Now, from that time, there's been many, many more play, as I just said. And I told the group, I said, I only played 23 NHL games, but I was the... I think, that the, the 17th player in the history of the city of Calgary to ever play in the National Hockey League. And I went on to explain about different guys, and I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sweeney Schreiner, for example, played, he won the, the Calder Rookie Award with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Stanley Cup's but he was not born in the city of Calgary. He was actually born in Russia and emigrated to Canada when he was one month old. I uh, talked about Danny Heatley, who played many years in the yep. National Hockey League. Danny was born in Germany. I was talking specifically about guys that played in the National Hockey League for one game. So now I'll roll this over to Chris Nyland. And I can tell you, yeah, there's been guys in the, in, in, in the Boston area that have gone on to play in the National Hockey League. But I think you'd find very, very few that would have played as long or had the success that Chris did in his career, coming from where he came from, where we were both kind of afterthoughts. And for that, I congratulate him. And I do want to go on and say a couple of things that about Chris before I, this all oh, we go any farther. Chris won a Stanley Cup in 1986. He had a 13-year career. And for a six foot man that weighed 205 pounds, the amount of penalty minutes he put up and the people that he fought was absolutely incredible. He had more than 300 fights in the National Hockey League in 688 games. And he ended up ninth in the all-time penalty minute records of the National Hockey League. But on a per minute basis, because he only played 688 games, he far exceeds any of the guys of the eight guys that are above him. And for that, I I have to congratulate him. And I have to say that not only did he do that, he was an NHL all-star and uh, he also played for his home country uh, in the Canada cup. And uh, so anyways, without going on. Yeah, I appreciate that. You missed
2: one stat. He was like (laughs) 11 and 0 in hallway fights or whatever.
1: (laughs) No, no, uh, Gary Risling actually to this day uh, holds the, per minute penalty minute, uh, uh in the National Hockey League uh, yeah. for the number of games he played and the amount of penalties that he took. He yeah. does that uh, recognition.
0: Yeah, that's funny. And, and um, it's, I, go, going back to that uh, guy in Washington you went after, was it Robert Picard? Robert
1: Pickard, that was there the guy. There you go. From yeah. the and I know I, when I was scouting with Edmonton here a couple of years ago, we were in Florida for some meetings, and Robert was there and heard we were there, and he came over, and I had dinner with him. It was great to see him. Yeah. Uh, it was great to see Robert. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 78, 87, 88, uh, your last season in hockey. Uh, you played for Maine a little bit, and then you were in Saginaw in the eye. Yeah. Um was it getting you're still 231 minutes the year before 246 the year before like you always put the minutes up i know for me at the end it got really difficult mentally physically and emotionally what what kind of toll did it take on you that that toll that you couldn't let people know it was taken well, what
1: happened, Chris, was uh, that summer I had basically retired from hockey, and what Alice and I were going to do was we were going to bo- uh, buy a couple of Tim Hortons uh, franchises. Yeah. And in those days, uh, Tim Hortons was big down east in Canada, but really had not come out west. And uh, uh, I-, I got talking to uh, – oh, what was his name? Uh he played hockey. Anyways, his brother played for the Philadelphia uh, philadelphia Barber Johnny Barber, okay. Bill Barber's uh, uh, brother. Johnny ran the franchising of for Tim Hortons of, when they started in Western Canada. So Alice and I were we're gonna buy a, f- a couple of franchises. We we're gonna be the first franchisees in Calgary. And during that time, as we're kind of rolling back and forth on what we're gonna do with the rest of our lives, I get a call from the Chicago Blackhawks, and it was Bob Pulford and would I be interested in coming and playing in Saginaw, Michigan? And they had a bunch of young kids and they were struggling. They were in, I think, last place. And I really wanted to continue playing, but more than that, I wanted to coach. I wanted to stay in the game somehow afterwards. So I took the Tim Hortons thing and put it off to the side. And I went down and played, I think it was 50 games with Saginaw, which was their number one farm team uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks in in those days. And, they had players on that club like Eddie Belfort, Booch Cassidy, who coaches the Vegas Golden yep. Knights, uh, Dave Mackey, uh, I get down there and they said, can you play defense? And I'd always been a right winger. And I said, well, I played a little bit of defense with Tom McVee the last couple of years in Portland, Maine. He put me out to kill penalties and stuff like that. And I said, uh, yeah, I can play defense. And they said, great, we've got a young kid we want you to, to play with. And that young kid was named Dave Manson. <laughs> He was my So we ended up playing in Saginaw, and that was my last year. So to answer your question, it made it easier playing with a guy like Dave. But it did become, after he got called up and never came back to the minors, it became uh, difficult. Uh, My family was back home. Uh, My kids were back home. Young AJ, Archie Jr., had been been born at that time. And uh, I was there by myself. So the fighting part of it became – uh, how do I word this? Um, it became harder to yeah. do it on a nightly basis. Uh, but the fire to still win and to, to, to uh, you know, be a success at that level was still there. We ended up uh, coming out of last place, making the playoffs. We lost uh, in the conference finals to Flint. The coach was Rick Dudley. And yeah. <laughs> after the game, uh, I knew I was done. So rather than going into the dressing room, uh, I will tell you, in the last game, uh, there was about two, three minutes left in the game against Flint. We were getting knocked out. And that was the year that New Jersey, Lou Amorello, had sent three or four players from his farm team, uh, wherever it was in the American League, sent them to the International League so that they could play in the playoffs. It was kind of a controversial thing. And they had a player named Jamie Huscroft who yeah. was actually a really good friend, uh, not at that time, but had played with my brother. So with about two or three minutes left in the game, I had my last fight with, uh, uh, in pro hockey with a fellow named Jamie Huscroft. And uh, we got kicked out of the game. And I remember uh, holding on to him at the end of the fight and saying, because uh, he was just a young kid and he is tough. He, he was a yeah. great, great guy. And I said, I looked at him and I said, I said, you're gonna fight all the rest, but you just fought the best. <laughs> and that was it. The team came in the dressing room after, and I knew I was done, Chris. So I didn't want to be there. I went in the hallway. And uh I'll admit it, I was crying. It was the end of my career. And all no. of a sudden down the hallway comes the president, commissioner of the league, the great Bud Poyle. Yeah. and he says, Uh, How you doing? I said, Well, I'm done. And he said, uh You called me in two weeks. He said, I've been talking to uh, Bob Pulford, and I think we've got something for you to coach in Indianapolis, which ended up where I coached my first year after that. So I'm very, very grateful for that. Did you ever,
2: Archie, do you ever, uh, up to this point or throughout your career, did you ever, like, wish, uh, wish you went to the Dartmouth?
1: You know what? Uh, no, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. That, was, that letter uh, was an exploratory letter, obviously. Um, I, I, I'll tell you, uh, do I regret going? Well, you know, obviously, it's an Ivy League school, but my background and my family, we didn't really know anything about university hockey. We just yeah. All we knew was, was the Western Canada Hockey League and the NHL. Like, I didn't know anything really about the American League even. You know, so uh, do I regret it? No. Would I change anything? No. Um, But, I mean, gosh, I mean, if my son had an opportunity to go to Dartmouth College, I would be all over it. Right? It's funny. It's funny you say
0: that because on the flip side, in my case, we knew nothing about junior hockey in Canada. (laughs) Like nothing. And I always say it, you you know, I really feel – If I come up here as a kid and play junior hockey, I would have been a first-round pick. Back in that era. Yeah. I I really – because I look at Jimmy Mann was a first-rounder, right? If I come up here and I knew I would have, you know, fought, I knew probably I would have end up, you know, improving my skills enough to, you know, at least score a few goals. I'm sure – I, it's funny. I always think of that, but I, I was so ignorant of it. I didn't, I didn't know that was
2: junior, I didn't know what it was, Tim. No, I, mean, I, I don't know no, about your yeah, time. Yeah, That's what makes your story even more incredible. Knox is
1: not, you, you know. know, and Tim, not to interrupt you, but Chris is exactly right. Like uh, I didn't know anything about university hockey. I knew in Calgary that they had the university of Calgary dinosaurs because They had played against our tier two team uh, in an exhibition game a few years prior and the tier two team beat the university of Calgary dinosaurs at that time. Now I didn't know anything about, you know, way down East, uh, you know, Dartmouth or or Harvard. uh, Of course I knew Harvard, the school and stuff like that, but you didn't know anything about the hockey programs. And I'll go another step farther. Another funny story, Chris is, is, uh, in my draft year, the WHA was was in full bloom, and I received a letter from the Houston Arrows. And it was uh, – uh, the head scout was very uh, – oh, he was the head scout for the Edmonton Oilers for a number of years. Well, the, in the letter, it was asking me if they drafted me, would I sign an, a, a WHA contract? Well, of course I would. So the, the, the letter went on to say, would you call Barry Frazier was his name? Would you call Barry Fraser?" So I phoned Barry Frazier. And this is how ignorant we were in those days. There was no internet. There was no iPhones and all yeah. that. He had the hockey news and that was it. And I said, Mr. Frazier, I got this letter and, and, and uh, you're asking me if I was drafted by the WHA Houston Arrows, would I, would I sign a contract? I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said... I'm a right winger. Who do you have on the right side? And he said, well, we got a guy named Gordie Howe. So I said, well, forget <laughs> it. <I don't> <laughs> so, Arch, uh, you, you uh, got a shot with Chicago coaching, did you? When you, and then- Well, I was not Chicago's farm team. It was actually uh, an independent team in Indianapolis. And uh, so I took the job on, I believe it was, around the middle of July, right around the beginning of August, and we had to put together a team uh, to play in the league. So we ended up signing uh, just a bunch of uh, independent players, and then I got help from uh, three or four or five NHL teams that kind of sent me their – I don't want to call them leftover guys, but guys that they didn't have a spot for.
0: Yeah, fringe players. Yep. Yeah,
1: fringe players. So, so actually, Jimmy Mann was one of the players that came. He was on the uh,
0: so you coached for a little bit. And then how does it, because you've been a long time scout, right? You went Detroit, uh, Edmonton, you just retired in Edmonton, pro scout, head of pro scouting. Uh, uh, how did the scouting thing happen? And who, I guess, was a mentor of yours in, in well, the scouting business? Yeah,
1: it's an interesting story. I actually uh, when I was done coaching in pro hockey. Uh, I ended up going back, and I coached in uh, uh, Great Britain. I was actually in Edinburgh, oh, Scotland. Wow! Uh, oh. was, I ran a team there, and it was uh, it was along the lines, similarly of maybe the East Coast. Hockey I played there. Yeah, yeah.
0: I went there with no. I went there with Proby, and we played like a. Um, Some former NHLers, we went over and played a game in Edinburgh. It was awesome.
1: Yeah. So I was there for a year, and then I came back and uh, uh, was coaching in uh, Nashville, I believe. No, Nashville was right after Indianapolis, and then I went over to Edinburgh. But I came back and I started coaching junior hockey in Victoria. Ed Chanel was the president of the Western Canada Hockey League, uh, helped me get that job. Now, Victoria was – terrible uh, the worst team in the league the year before they'd won four games so i went in there and, and started to coach well during that time period i built up a relationship with a guy named jack button who was yep. the assistant gm of the washington capitals and when my coaching was done in victoria jack called me and said would you be interested in scouting and I said, yeah, you know, I have to talk to my wife because you're on the road a lot. And I said, yeah. And he said, well, we'd like you to come to Washington to sit down with David Paul. He'd, like he'd like to speak to you. So I was actually in Minnesota, Minneapolis, with my son's uh, travel team during this time period. It was a summer kind of an all-star team. So I said, okay, fine, I'll come over. So we got tickets and I went over to Washington and sat down with David. Now at that time, you got to understand, this is thirty, thirty-three 33 or 35 years ago, there were uh, teams that were really progressive and David Poyle was one of those guys or managers and he wanted to put together a pro scouting uh, staff where you scouted pro players. You got to remember prior to that, Chris, if a general manager wanted to make a trade, for example, a lot of times you would... Call his buddy in Sault Ste. Marie and say, "Listen, uh, how do you and your wife like to go down and stay in the York Hotel, have a steak dinner, and watch this player for me? And let me know if we should trade for him." Yeah, uh, David, David wanted to to put something together real, so we went in and he and he ended up hiring me as a as a pro scout, uh, of which I would have been the first or yeah the first guy there because in the league they only had. I'm talking league-wide, they only had maybe six or seven full-time Pro Scouts. Uh, the great Jerry Melnick from the Flyers, uh, Doug Overton from the Minnesota uh, that moved into Dallas. Um, I can name four or five. guys. Barry very long. Yeah. Yeah. Really but long story short, it was a really kind of a new thing. And uh, it expanded from there to a point, Tim and Chris, now where every NHL team has a staff of usually a minimum of five guys. Um, So in that first year under Jack Button, he asked for a mentor. I can remember uh, going on a road trip one time for Jack. He set up my schedule and I went on a road for 40 days, 40 days. And uh, uh, I was not at home. And uh, as I was on my uh, way home, uh, Jack called me. How are you feeling? I said, yeah, I'm okay. I'm ready to go, ready to go. And he said, okay. Well, the next night I got home and I just crashed. Well, Jack Button had phoned my wife and said, did Archie take you out for dinner? And my wife said, no, he's really tired. Oh, he got really pissed off. He phoned me and he said, when you're on the road that long, you make sure you take your wife out for dinner and you make sure that you put it in on the team. And that's the way Jack was. And uh, Jack actually went on after working with him for a couple of years and passed away. But uh, he, was, he was a big mentor. Well, that's awesome.
0: Now, so... How many? Let me think. I, how many years you scouted for?
1: Uh, well, I scouted with different teams. I started off with of Washington, and then I went to Ottawa with Brian Murray, and then I went to Detroit with Ken Holland, and then went with him to Edmonton. I would say the total span would have been about thirty to thirty-two years. Okay,
0: so you have a Stanley Cup ring.
1: You have to if you're in in Detroit, no? Uh, Never won the Stanley Cup. I got there after. Oh, shit. One the Wonder Cups, yep. And uh, uh, there were a couple of years where I was actually out of it, out of the game. Uh, yeah. Other things and then came back in. But um, I never won a Stanley Cup. Was in the finals with Washington uh, and then in the minor leagues. Obviously, I was in several finals. Never won the Calder Cup or anything. But okay. or the Cup in the Central League. But, no, never won a Stanley oh, Cup. I thought
0: you might have in Detroit. Tim, we're talking – on the phone yesterday, and you think of Scouts, right? You're gone looking all the time. It, I want you to tell Tim, tell our listeners that story that you told me about how many years you've done it for, the hours away, how many. I, I, honest to God, when you told me that, I was like, whoa. Yep. And it, it's incredible. It's incredible Ooh. how how long these guys are gone.
1: Tim, the story I told Chris was, the year that I retired and that I decided that I had enough, I've been invited by a good friend of ours named Mike Emrick, who was the NBC hockey guy. He's in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Tremendous, tremendous gentleman. He asked me to come to Port Huron to, do a, uh, to be part of a fundraiser for the YMCA. And it was being held at the McMoran Arena. And there was a couple thousand people there and I had not been back to Port Huron in, in 30 some odd years uh, since I played there actually. So I said, yes, absolutely for you, Mike, I'll do it. So I came in and Mike had just retired about two or three weeks before that, maybe a month before that. And a lot of people were asking him like, why, why did you retire? Well, he was the MC of this event. And during his speech, he said to people in the crowd, he said, a lot of people are asking me why I retired. And he said, here's the story. He said, I came home this past year and my wife sat me down, we were having our morning coffee and he asked me, she asked me, Mike, how many nights do you think in your career you've been away from your own bed? So they started figuring it out and they came up with the number of about 5,000. Oh, you Mike Emmerich did the radio, television report, or radio, not television in those days, but for the Port here on Flags, two years before I joined that team. But I had also played three years of major junior, so was on the road then as well. I came home after that event and said the same thing to my wife, told her the story. And Alice said to me, how many nights do you think you've been on the road in your playing, coaching, and scouting career? So we sat down and we came up with the number of somewhere around 6,000. Now, Tim, if you think about it, 6,000, that's a big number. A lot of people go, wow, 6,000. It's almost 20 years that I was away from my home or my own bed. Oh, and that's, that's unbelievable, yeah, right, Tim? Yeah.
0: When oh. you think of it that way, you think 6,000 yeah, hours. Yeah, that's a lot of hours. And then you go 20 yeah. years? Yeah. yeah,
1: 20 years. It's incredible. Well, and, and, and I'll tell you, that's why I have the nickname Lucky. Because I've been I've been lucky to be married Dallas
0: for forty four years. That's why. So I, I want to ask you a couple before I let you go. And I want one thing I totally forgot was uh, the Willie Trogne in, incident. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you know, just briefly go through that for me. What happened? Because you broke your nose, you got your head split open. What happened there?
1: Well, what happened was, is Gary Risling, our our buddy, our <laughs> son buddy, of a bitch, yeah, Gary. We're, we're on the line uh, in Fort Huron. We're playing against the uh, uh, the Dayton Owls. They were called at the time, and they had uh, uh, a gunslinger named Willie Trognitz. It was, I think, it was only about my tenth. You're a rookie. You're a yeah, rookie, right? We're, me and Rizzo were rookies. And we went to the face-off circle, and our, our normal centerman, uh, Jimmy Gustafson, was not with us. It was a, a smaller guy named Gary McMonigal. And uh, uh, there was a situation with Gary. And who was the player? It was, uh, Gary was a left-winger. This guy was the right-winger. The face-off was in their zone on, on, to the left of their goalie. And uh, Gary starts this fight at the face-off. Well, the next thing you know, this guy named John Flesh, who was a WHA tough guy from years before, jumped in on Gary. Well, that's my little buddy, so I got to protect Gary. So now I'm jumping in on John Flesh. Well, all hell breaks loose, as we've talked about, Slapshot. Everybody on the ice is fighting. And uh, I'm not bragging, I, I beat the shit out of him. Uh, <laughs> I believe well, you, right. so, <laughs> and I know you're not a bragger. <laughs> so all of a sudden, he his arm starts to droop, and he starts to scream, uh, my shoulder, my shoulder, my shoulder. So I stop. Well, just as I stop, I get from the side Willie Trognitz, who was on the ice as well. He suckers me from the side, and that's what breaks my nose. So now I'm pissed. So I throw guess. Down, throw down John Flash. Gary is fighting, the guy's name was Rick Dorman. Great guy, I've met him several times since then. Legendary IHL fighter, him and Gary are still fighting. Everybody on the ice is fighting. Well, now I turn and Willie, the referees have got him over by the bench, okay? And uh, Nick Polano was the coach of, uh, of of the Dayton Owls. He's got his arm or his hand on Willie. I go over to the other side of the ice and I get into a stance like, I wasn't an idiot. I was gonna say, okay, you wanna get at it? Let's get at it. I put up my hands. I'm standing there expecting him to come to me. Well, the next thing I know, he's got a hand in his stick while he's standing there with Nick Polano and he two hands me right over the the head. Okay. So I go down and now I've cut in the middle of my head and I'm bleeding, but my nose had been broken by the sucker part. <sighs> so now the crowd starts coming down over the bench. And it got, I, I was kind of out of it. So I don't care. I'm only going on what people told me later. Well, now the, the crowd is getting onto the bench. They're going after Palano. They're going after Willie Trognath. The police are involved. They finally get it cleared up. I go into the dressing room and pour Huron and I am out of it. So they come in and uh, the trainer was named Rick Onge, just a great guy, just turned 80 years old the other day. So happy oh. birthday, Rick <laughs> and, uh They say, you got to go to the hospital because you're concussed. Oh, of you say I was concussed. A guy hit me with a yeah. baseball bat over the head. Well, <laughs> I go to the hospital, get evaluated. I go, and I'm not staying in the hospital, but they made me stay. Okay, the next morning I'd get out and that's when kind of all hell broke loose in the league because what happened was, is the uh, the president of the league stepped in and said, okay, there's suspensions coming. So there was a bunch of meetings going on and on. I was a rookie. I just wanted to play. I didn't want to get involved. They ended up, Mo Bartali, I think was the owner and general manager of the, of the, of the Dayton Owls and they were getting ready to move to Grand Rapids. Well, he started arguing that, oh, you know, this guy started, which was not. Uh, they ended up suspending Willie Krognitz for life. from yeah.
0: He never played another game in the eye, but he ended up going to WHA later, right?
1: Probably Ten days, later, 10
0: what days a, later. What a way to start your career. I, 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 like, uh, I think a lot of guys might have packed their bags yeah. and went the other way, right? Well, Tim?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you might be right but I wanted to play. And, uh, like I say, 10 days later, Willie Traugness signs with the Cincinnati stingers. So that gives you a sense of what was going on in those days because Jacques Demere was the coach in Cincinnati and he wanted somebody to protect Robbie Fatoric. And Willie, I think ended up playing a, a small number of games in the WHA. But what's really interesting about this story is, is that several years later, uh, it was actually the year uh, that we were talking about with Gary Green. Uh, I got loaned to the Fort Worth, Texas. So Alice and I pack up our trailer. Remember in those days, all the guys in the minors, we had a trailer, and we'd haul it back and forth, from where we're yeah. and we're heading to Fort Worth, Texas. The coach that was coaching Fort Worth was my coach in Port Huron. His name was Ron Elliott. So they told me when I left, when you get about halfway, make sure you call Ron and let him know where you're at. So Ron kept pushing, we need you to get here. We need you to get here. We need you to get here. So we're driving, and I stop about halfway, get a hotel, and I phone Ron Elliott. And I said, okay, here's where we are. I said, now, what's the deal? He goes, I need you here tomorrow. I he said, we're going to practice, and you're going to play the next night. I'm going, okay, well, that's fine. I said, uh, I'd like to get number 19. And he goes, uh, yeah, I don't think I can do that. I said, what do you mean? I'm number 19. Like, I wear. Number, <laughs> I, said, yeah, I remember was, that 19. First, yeah. I wears not 30, and I wear number 19. Ron, Ron who was my coach at Port Huron, where I wore number 19, he goes, Well, he said, we, we, we've already given it away. And I said, Well, I don't, really, I don't give a shit if you're giving it away. You tell whoever's got it, I'm number 19. I'm wearing the jersey. I said, By the way, who's got number 19? And the phone goes silent. And he goes, Willie. <laughs> oh <Who>? Willie's <laughs> <Willy>. I, <go, laughs> <"Dude, laughs> I go what are you talking about? This is the coach poor Huron when this all happened. he's now bringing me in and he's already got Willie. Yeah. So now the conversation all the way into four words is like what the hell am I gonna do here So I go in the first day and we're sitting directly across from each other in the uh, in the dressing room and I walk in and the room is silent. It is silent. And I just ignore him. I'm putting my stuff on. We go through our practice. Nothing is said. We're going to play that night. We're on the same line. <laughs> We're on the same line. As it turned out, uh, Willie became a good teammate. We never yeah. really talked about the incident uh, after that, wow. really. Um, uh, tried to keep that away from the team part of it. And yeah. uh, we ended up going to the seventh game of the finals. And we lost the Adam Cup to uh, the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles, two to one. And uh, that was a team that was in last place when we both got there. So that tells you what the toughness means to the team, and it also tells you what Chris Nyland did for the Montreal Canadiens. Um,
0: that's awesome! I that, what a story. Um, couple things I want to ask before I let you go. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll be here as long as you want me. Um, today's game. Yep as opposed to back in the day. What 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 do you like about it? What do you not like about it?
1: Uh, well, I wish there was more physicality allowed. I think every time that there's a real solid body check or something like that, the ears perk up, and a lot of times there's a penalty call. Um, I, you know, I think we fall into a trap from our era of saying, well, you know, we were better than these guys. Well, that's not true. I can yeah. tell you. From scouting all the games that I've scouted over my career, which probably totals close to five thousand, um, they're much better today. They're much better physical condition. Uh, they train year round. Chris, we didn't. We most of us got summer jobs yeah. uh, when the hockey season was over. Um, but the game has really, the, the game game has really not changed as much. Now people might disagree with me. They might say, oh, yeah, it's changed. The players are bigger. Yes, they are. The equipment's better. Yes, it is. Um, but the actual game hasn't changed. The object is to put the puck in the net against the other team. And I don't think, in my opinion, the game has changed. But but what's happened is, is people in the game have changed, people that make decisions in the game and people that are around the game. For example, uh, I can go to a press box now in an NHL arena, and I don't know very many of the of the people that are doing the scouting, for example. And a lot of them are guys that uh, God bless them. I'm glad they're working in the NHL, but they never they never played uh, at a very very high level. A lot of them do, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But but the 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 person has changed in the NHL for the good. I think so. I mean, hockey is a huge business. Now, it was a big business in our day too, Chris, but we never thought of it as a big business because we weren't attached to that part of it. It was more more a game for us. Uh, It was a life for us, a lifestyle. Yes, it was a big business for the owners in those days, but now today, it's a big business for both the owners and the players because they make so much more money than we ever dreamt of making.
0: Yeah, pretty cool, right?
1: Yeah, it is. <clears throat> no,
2: I was going to ask you, Archie, I, uh, to go back here one second. I I wanted to know. I came across that fight with Probert. Um, oh that, yeah, that we, was but, awesome. That was we had awesome. talked about that. Tim yeah, and I. when
1: was that? Yeah. Well, uh Proby had came uh, to the Adirondack Red Wings when he was a rookie. I was kind of at the end of my career. It was my last year in, in Portland, Maine. I did come out of retirement, as I said, to play the next year in Saginaw. But, um, again, I don't want to in any sense be bragging. I was one of many belt holders in, in, in my day. we <laughs> like Chris, uh, coming up as a rookie was – was going to make his name, was going to make his name. So we actually, that fight, I believe, on the video was the first of two because I fought Bob Probert twice. And uh, that one, I, I, I can't remember if it was in Portland, Maine, or if it was in, in uh, uh, Adirondack, but we fought. And the first time we fought in uh, Adirondack, he actually hurt me. Like he hit me and he hurt me. And I I never really in my career had been stung a lot. Um, And I remember leaving the penalty box. He wanted to go again. And I was willing to go, but the referees got in between us, and I thought better of it because I I, I was hurt. So I went over to the player's bench and sat down. Proby continued playing. And I only got, I think, maybe one or two shifts after that. And I, I just wasn't right. Well, the next morning, we had to play Adirondack. Uh, that night we were going on the road to maybe it was Rochester. And I went into the coach's office really early in the morning before our escape, before we get getting on the bus. And the coach was Tom McVie. And again, I was towards the end of my career as, as, a, as that role. And I walked in, I said, Tommy, can I talk to you for a minute? And he goes, yeah. I sit down and I go, Tommy, I said, uh, uh, you think I should go after him again? Just like that. And Tommy uh, looked me right in the eye and he said, you're the only one that can answer that. So we went on the road we played, <laughs> and at came to Portland, Maine. Well, you know what? It was only I was the only one that could answer it, and that's what that fight was. And what happened was, is it was off of a face-off. And uh, if you watch the fight, I'm not saying I, I was tougher than Bob Prover. No, oh, you made you. Had, it was an awesome fight. You, I watched yeah. the fight. You I'm did unbelievable. You. He was, was one awesome. of the best guys to ever play, as you know. But if you're watching the fight in those days, Chris, you remember this: we were supposed to be tied down. Yeah, and and I was always tied down. You, I, many of us were honorable, and we will be tied down in that particular situation. And in that era, as Proby and Joey Kosher and these guys were coming up, yeah, I have a lot of respect for that tie down. And if you're watching the fight, he as soon as he starts to Lean where he might be losing the fight, he comes completely out of the equipment. And (laughs) if you watch, I throw a left hand, and if I hit him with the left hand, maybe Bob Probert doesn't have the career that he did. But he comes through the equipment, I got nothing to grab onto. We continue fighting, and then I go, You know what? I'm out. And I roll. He doesn't hit me, I roll to end the fight. You'll see that right at the very end. But the point of bringing that up is. In those days, you had players like Proby who come out of his equipment constantly. You had players like, and I love him, he's like a brother to me, Glenn Cochran, would come out of his yep. equipment all the time. Uh, guys like Rob Ray, they come out of their equipment. Forward. Rob Ray. Right. You know, there's many of them, but it, it, no disrespect to any of those guys because they were all really tough guys. But it put us guys that were tied down into a real uh, uh, predicament because... Disadvantage. Now, yeah, I was going
2: to say, Chris, you had to deal with Dave Brown coming out of the locker room. With exactly. That.
1: Right? <laughs> you know, like. exactly. Yeah, that wasn't
0: fun. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> no, what the exactly. hell is going on here? How do I do this, right? Yeah. Right. It's not right. easy.
1: No, so you, you take a look at a guy like Proby, I mean, one of the toughest of all time, let's be honest. And uh, 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 But in that particular fight, Tim, uh, and I wish they had video of the first one in that particular fight. He does come out of his equipment and, uh, uh, it kind of pissed me off to be honest with you.
0: Yeah. Now, listen, uh, uh, we, we always ask our guests, listen, you can tell a story and I love it and yeah. I love you. Uh, I you're know, a I good man and I really appreciate your time, but we usually ask our guests at the end, um, what would be the first line, if you were able to write it, of your eulogy?
1: I did the best I could do.
0: That's good. That's what we love. And you did the best you could do There's no question about it. I, I,
1: I, I think, Chris, like uh, with myself and all of us, there, there's two different parts to us. There's, there's our, our, our hockey lives, and then there's our 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 life lives. I yeah. mean, uh, I'm I now I've been married for 44 years. Beautiful woman. She's been great for me. She's she's supported me all through these years. She gave me two wonderful children, a son and a daughter. From them, I have five grandchildren, uh, four boys and one little girl, uh, eight, seven, six, five, and four. The four boys all are in their first and second years of hockey. Um, like yourself, I know that you have. Two daughters and and a son, I believe, and you've got children now. Uh, I think uh, you know we go through we go through life thinking about what we did in hockey, but we're at a point now uh, where we can look back and say, you know what, our family uh, and 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 the people that are going to going to be here after we're gone are what's really important. And uh, I'm very proud of 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 what I did. I, I respect all guys that ever played that role. Uh, even the guys today that do it, and yeah. uh, but I know that someday, at some point, uh, when they get a lot older, they're going to look back and be able to tell their stories, and I look forward to hearing them.
0: That's awesome, Arch. You, t- Tim and I, we are um, actually going to do another podcast um, at 2.30 here, Yep. and you know who we're doing it with? No, who? Keith Acton. Oh, gosh,
1: please say hello to, to Keith. <laughs> he loves you. Keith, said, oh, the key. That's great. What he loves you. He says, oh, I key love, key.
0: love Archie Henderson. Keep that. What Jackson.
1: a clear that was. Right? Jimmy, Chris, I'm going to forward you uh, Tim Hunter's number as well, so you can get a hold of him if you ever want to. Good stuff. Him. Yeah, and Timmy's uh, a good friend from Calgary, and uh, I'm sure you, you'd you have a lot of fun with him. He was, he was Archie,
0: awesome. Friend. Awesome to have you, and I'm just going to say, uh, God bless you. You're, you're an honorable man, a good man, and I, I'm happy you had the career you had, and and then afterwards in in scouting. So, well, I really appreciate that. Awesome friend. stuff. A lot of respect for you, my that. friend.
1: No, before we go, I want to read this off. <laughs> Make my note. All right. all right, all right, all right. And this tells you how many fights and how many situations Chris Nyland was in. <laughs> and I'm going to put my glasses on as I read this, but we're going to have some fun with this, Tim. Rap you know, sheet. All the, this is you a know rap sheet. information anyway. <laughs> my rap
2: sheet.
1: <laughs> Tiger Williams, 3,971 in 962 games.
2: Dale Hunter,
1: Ty Domi, Marty McSorley, Bob Probert, Rob Ray, Craig Berube, Tim Hunter. Number nine is Chris Nyland. But, but, Chris Nyland his 3,043 penalty minutes in only 688 games. He more than beats every one of the eight above him in per-game penalty-minute records, and I can tell you that he's only one of nine in the history of the National Hockey League that ever had over 3,000 penalty minutes, and to this day, he still holds the NHL record for a game in... Let me put my glasses on again. March 31st, 1991, where he just happened to end up with 42 penalty minutes. Now, <laughs> you're going to go down in history as one of the greatest. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll say hello to Gary Risling for you. And, uh, Do that. Great to talk to you guys. Do oh, it. I
2: Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles Podcast. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe.